Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 748 for release on Sunday, June 25th, 2023. On WaveScan today, the Himalayan Kingdom of Bhutan flying into their difficult airport and the preliminary radio scene. Also, the American shortwave scene in 1929. And we'll have part three of our conversation with Alan Graham of HCJB. The ancient kingdom of Bhutan lies nestled into the Himalaya mountains with high snow-covered mountains to the north and subtropical jungles to the south. Bhutan is a ruggedly beautiful country, though it is landlocked with China to the north and India on the other three sides. Here's Ray Robinson now with more on Bhutan. Thanks, Jeff. This country, with its three-quarters of a million population, is just 250 miles across and 100 miles wide, with a total area of 15,000 square miles, and an annual rainfall in some areas of 300 inches. The national capital city is Timpu, which is located in the central west, and the national religion is the Bhutanese form of Buddhism. Their national speech is contained in various dialects of the Zonga language, which is written with the Tibetan script. There's an abundance of wildlife in Bhutan, some of which is unique to their area, such as the golden langur, the clouded leopard and the sloth bear. Thus far, more than 770 varieties of bird life have been recorded in Bhutan. Recent news items tell that the Paro International Airport, 35 miles from Timpu in Bhutan, is listed as the world's most dangerous airport, and currently only eight pilots are licensed to fly in and out. Paro Airport is one and a half miles above sea level, and surrounded by sharp mountain peaks reaching as high as 18,000 feet, that's three and a half miles. The runway is considered to be too short, and the approach meanders through a winding valley. In addition, gusty mountain winds can also add to the difficulty in making a successful landing. All aircraft traffic movements take place only during the daylight hours and when the weather is clear. In addition, incoming planes need to carry sufficient fuel for takeoff from the Paro airport and for the flight to their intended destination, plus enough to divert to an emergency location if needed. I guess there are no refueling facilities there. Many videos are available on YouTube that show the somewhat scary flight into Paro International Airport as seen from the aircraft flight deck. As the plane begins to descend into the valley, you can see how close the aircraft wings are to the nearby mountain slopes. Well, now to the radio scene in Bhutan. Actually, radio program broadcasting came to Bhutan half a century after it was introduced in many other countries around the world. The earliest known reference to a radio broadcasting station in Bhutan is shown on page 304 in the World Radio and TV Handbook for the year 1969. That half-a-century-old reference is quite brief, and it's shown in just two words, 
Under the heading 1210 kHz with 1 kilowatt, the two words are India and Bhutan. Well, now, Bhutan is not a part of India, though there is political and commercial cooperation between the two countries. So it would appear then that the listed medium-wave radio broadcasting station in Bhutan was an intended aid project from India that was never fulfilled. That same brief entry for the projected medium-wave station in Bhutan is also found on page 331 in the subsequent issue of the World Radio and TV Handbook for the year 1970. We'll continue with the radio scene in Bhutan next week. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. And from Bhutan, we go to the American shortwave scene in 1929. It was on October 1st, 1928, that 8XK, the KDKA counterpart shortwave station, was officially redesignated as W8XK. Likewise, at the same time, all of the call signs of all of the shortwave stations in the United States that began with a number were required to insert a W at the beginning of that call sign. Hence, in our report on the American shortwave scene in 1929, each station is therefore now identified in the same way. Here again is Ray. Yes, Jeff. During the year 1929, KDKA celebrated its ninth anniversary with special programming from its new studios in the William Penn Hotel in Pittsburgh. Their main shortwave W8XK transmitter was rated at 40 kilowatts, and they carried program relays from several shortwave stations, including Nauen in Germany, CJRX at Winnipeg in Canada, VK2ME in Sydney, Australia, and station WFA with the Admiral Bird Expedition in Antarctica. General Electric, W2XAD and W2XAF in Schenectady, New York, also participated in the relay of shortwave programming with the broadcast of the inaugural address of newly elected President Herbert Hoover on March 4th, 1929, with the arrival of the German airship Graf Zeppelin in Los Angeles on August 26th, and with a special series of programs in which Latin American ambassadors in the United States each spoke to their homeland countries. The Crossley shortwave transmitter W8XAL at Harrison, Ohio, was off the air for some months in the earlier part of the year 1929, while medium-wave WLW was being transferred to the WSAI building in Mason, Ohio, north of Cincinnati. The shortwave transmitter W8XAL was rebuilt, reinstalled at Mason and reactivated in June 1929, still at the same power level of 250 watts, though now on a new channel, 6060 kHz. The programming of medium wave WJZ was often heard over W3XL and W3XAL at Boundbrook in New Jersey, though there were numerous occasions when their programming went out over higher powered shortwave transmitters at Rocky Point on Long Island. On May the 27th, medium wave WRNY and shortwave W2XAL put out a special program to honour the takeover of the duo station by the Curtis Aeroplane and Motor Company in New York and Coitsville, New Jersey. Their shortwave transmitter was rated at just 500 watts. 
At mid-year, the CBS shortwave transmitter W2XE in the centre of the western section of Long Island, New York, began to operate with 5 kilowatts on 6120 kHz, and another 5 kilowatt shortwave transmitter was inaugurated as a new station, W6XN, in Oakland, California, in August, to relay information to the East Coast about the Pacific Radio Show in San Francisco. And finally, two new shortwave stations were launched in Chicago, Illinois during the year 1929. Shortwave W9XF at suburban Downers Grove with 5 kilowatts on 6020 kHz carried a relay from medium wave WENR. And shortwave W9XAA with 500 watts on 6080 kHz on the waterfront at the Navy Pier carried a relay from medium wave WCFL. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray. We have an update now from Jose Jacob in India about some late developments in Guam and India. KSDA, Adventist World Radio in Guam, whose services were irregular due to damages caused by the recent typhoon Marwar, is noted back on the air again with two out of the three antennas from 15th of June, 2023. So a maximum of only two frequencies are in use at a time now, instead of three scheduled frequencies. And in India, the severe cyclone Biparjoy made landfall on June 15th on the coast of Gujarat state in western India. Akashvani stations in the area had issued alert messages on medium wave and FM. A lot of people were evacuated from the region. There was minimum human casualty, though there were many damages to houses and other structures and also power outages in many areas. Interestingly, the weak 100-meter tower of Akashvani, or All India Radio Doraka, in the region was demolished by authorities just before the cyclone arrived there to prevent any damages that might occur if it were to fall down in the cyclone winds. This station used to operate as a relay station on 100.1 megahertz with 100 watts. Local ham radio operators in the area had an emergency communication network on 7045 kilohertz and on VHF ahead of the cyclone. And today we have the third part of our conversation with Alan Graham, the former host of the DX Party Line on shortwave station HCJB in Quito, Ecuador. Alan uh, was attending a conference here in Florida recently, and he came to visit us here in Okeechobee as well. So we brought him into the Wavescan studio, and here's the third part of our conversation. Now, also, uh, there was the HCJB Technology Center in Elkhart in northern Indiana. Correct. Uh, Is that still there? Um, It's still there. Uh, several years ago, I want to say around 2014, 2015, um, it was actually spun off um, as a, a separate ministry. So they are legally separate from what was HCJB, which later became Reach Beyond, and they continue to do incredible things. Um, the conference I was at these past few days here in Orlando, um, I was with some of the folks from from Sunset uh, Solutions, and they're doing some really, really fun things there. So I would encourage anyone, if you're going by Elkhart, Indiana, um, to drop by the Sunset Solutions offices and just see some of the things that they're doing. 
Yeah, yeah. We, we had a couple of uh, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters annual meetings there. Excellent. Very, very, very nice place. Uh, uh, Charlie Jacobson uh, right. was there. I, I, I don't know if he's the... Uh, the manager now, but uh, uh, Dave Russell Dave is Russell, actually sure. yeah, yeah. Da- David yeah. Russell, mm-hmm. um, Charlie Jacobson still is is there, and um, one of the lead engineers. And then you have people like Doug Weber, quite a few people that had served before in Ecuador, um, made the transition from Equ- Ecuador to Elkhart. So, so what the, the big building where uh, the trans um, where the studios were in Quito is is that still? What the FM headquarters? It is, um, but the the Quito Ecuadorian Ministry is actually in the process of building a brand new building, so they will move off of the compound, um, which will be interesting because it'll now be just radio rather than you know all these other things that were happening there on the compound, and uh, that building should be completed, and the projection is to move in in October of this year. Wow. Huh. Assuming that this program airs in 2023, of course. <laughs> it should. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and uh, before we forget about uh, the Technology Center in Elkhart, uh, that's where many of the uh, HCJB shortwave transmitters were actually built, right? Correct. Um, probably the most notable was the HC500, um, a 500K transmitter, which is just an incredible piece of work, and then several HC100s. Um, 100k transmitters were built there, and and some of those ended up at Reach Beyond Australia, right? Correct. Um, there had already been some HC100 shipped to HCJB Australia, and then after PIFO was closed, at least one, if not two, of the HC100s were then shipped there. And I don't know where the other ones went. Mm-hmm. Because uh, uh, WaveScan listeners will remember a few weeks ago we talked with uh, Dale Stagg of uh, Reach Beyond Australia about. Uh, uh, all of their their operation there, which is really nice. Hmm. Um, uh, I'll take your word for it. I've only seen pictures of it, <laughs> but it's exciting to know that you had the opportunity to meet and talk with Dale. What a what a great gentleman! Yeah, and they are they are hosting the um, HFCC High Frequency Coordination Conference in uh, uh, near Brisbane, Australia, uh, in September. Excellent. So yeah. So are you relieved that you don't have to produce a weekly DX program anymore? Um, It was a lot of work, Um, but it was also interesting, learned a lot, Um, got to meet a lot of people when I had an opportunity to go to um, different events, and then um, stay in touch with some folks even over the years. Um, I think it was November of 2019 when I was still based in Spain, Uh, Risto Vajacaino was in the neighborhood and so Mm -hmm. we got together for lunch one day and that was special because Risto would always send in a monthly report for Mm me um he's from finland correct was the uh uh, former uh, secretary general of the european dx council yes yeah um so anyway he visited and we got to have lunch together he had also visited when i was in ecuador uh, so that was fun Mm -hmm. when to now see each other but in a different location and the Mm -hmm. only time i've ever been to helsinki and it was only there for a few hours he was out of the country, so I didn't get to see him in his <laughs> home country. <laughs> wow, uh, wow. But yeah, I'm, I said it was a lot of work, as you know, producing a program, and especially something like DX Party Line. A lot of research and pre-production uh, goes into it. And um, now I don't have really that weekly production responsibility, but as the director of the station, especially the team I have, there's still a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. They keep me on my 
Get me <laughs> on my toes. So, so looking forward, um, the six oh five oh's going to stay on the air, as far as you know. That's the plan. We've actually, over these uh, last few months, been doing some research among um, some of the indigenous groups that are we're targeting with the frequency to see if they really are listening um, and um, what content they're using. And so there's, at this point, um, there's nothing showing that we need to stop doing that. Um, you know, we know that new technologies are coming out, but so far they're not used, at least within um, that particular target audience. I'm on the board for the Vosandis Media Association, so the, those are some of the things that, that we're dealing with. And we don't see any reason for the time being to stop uh, the 6050. There's still a lot of um, uh, shortwave listening going on in, in the Andes, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. I remember, uh, this was m many years ago now, but uh, I was in Merida in the Andes of Venezuela, uh -huh. and uh, we were in a flea market, and, and a guy had a radio there at his stall at the flea market, and uh, and I heard an ID for uh, <laughs> and a lot of people there in the Andes listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even at the conference I was at this past week in Orlando, um, you know, they asked who could come the farthest. Well, I don't know if I'd come the farthest, but farther than someone, any of the ones who'd been there who were from the U.S. So I yell out, Ecuador, right? And so a gentleman comes up afterwards and he says, um, you said you're from Ecuador, right? And I go, yes. He goes, by chance have you heard of HCJB? And I go, uh, yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> I go, that's actually who I'm working with. And he goes, really? Oh, well, I used to listen to HCJB on shortwave when I was a kid, and now I work in radio. So it's like, that was a lot of fun. Wow. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so for you, you're going to continue there in, in Guayaquil at HCJB2? As far as I know. Okay. Uh, I mean, as a missionary, might be sent elsewhere, might be sent to Okeechobee, Florida. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, people who want to listen can uh, hear it on the Internet, right? Here, HCJB two. Oh yeah, okay. I didn't know. I want to make sure which station I was supposed to promote at this point. Uh, yes, it's HCJB two dot org, and we also have an app which is Radio HCJB two. So all right, great. Practice your Spanish. Well, Alan, thanks for uh, stopping by uh, here in Okeechobee, and. Um, have a good trip uh, back to Ecuador, and we'll keep in touch. All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity, after many years, to be back here on WaveScan. That was Alan Graham of HCJB2 in Guayaquil, Ecuador. Measuring the audience to shortwave radio has always been very difficult. The audience is widely dispersed throughout the world, and doing surveys is almost impossible. Some stations that have lots of money, like uh, the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which runs the Voice of America and other U.S. government shortwave services, have funds to conduct research in certain areas at certain times, and they have done some studies of shortwave audiences. Well, back in the 1980s, I had the opportunity to do a series of shortwave audience studies for several international broadcasters, among them The Voice of America, the BBC, Radio Canada International, Radio Netherlands, Swiss Radio International, Radio France International, and others. My studies were mainly examining the local media in various countries in the Caribbean, Central and South America, 
as well as finding and doing interviews with known shortwave listeners in those countries, names and addresses provided by the participating stations. I would ask listeners about their favorite stations, favorite types of programs, what kind of receivers they used, preferred days and times for listening, etc. I have some very interesting memories of trying to locate these listeners and then finding out about their listening habits. I did not participate in listener surveys to find out actual listenership numbers, but I was given access to some of the surveys that these stations had done, and I remember that shortwave listenership was as much as 30-some percent of the population of some Caribbean islands back then. In other places, percentages were much lower. Well, last fall, one of the members of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters asked me if I was aware of any shortwave audience figures from surveys that the U.S. Agency for Global Media had conducted recently. They operate VOA, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Marti, etc. Well, I tried to find these online, and I couldn't locate anything. I asked around at USAGM, and no one knew of any figures, or at least they didn't know of any figures that were publicly available. I contacted the office of Senator Marco Rubio in Florida, who got one of his staff members to go to USAGM to inquire about this information. Eventually, the response was that I would have to file a Freedom of Information Act request to the USAGM. I did so, and they eventually responded that they would gather the information and get back to me. Well, this process went on for several months, and I asked for occasional updates. They kept promising to obtain the information and send it, but they said they were really backed up and it could take a while to respond. To make a long story short, I finally received a reply in April of this year, and the letter of explanation for the delay they sent was longer than the actual document. The information they provided was a short list of countries where they've conducted surveys of the shortwave audience between 2017 and 2022. I'm going to read that information to you now. Uh, There's a list of countries, and then there's the percentage of adult population that used shortwave in the past seven days. That's uh, taken from their surveys. Angola was the first one, and the percentage was 0%. I don't know if that means uh, less than 1% or less than a half percent. Democratic Republic of Congo was 4% listened within the past seven days. Ethiopia, 5% of the adult population. Ghana, 1%. Nigeria, 4%. Rwanda, 1%. Tanzania, 3%. Kazakhstan, 2%. Turkmenistan, 8%. China, 2%. Moldova, 2%. Azerbaijan, 0%. Bashkortostan, 0%. Chechnya, 0%. Crimea, 1%. Georgia, less than 1%. Nagorno-Karabakh, 1%. Russia, 0%. Tatarstan, 0%. Haiti, 2%. Pakistan, 1%. Cambodia, 1%. Indonesia, 1%. Vietnam, 0%. And Afghanistan, 7%. It was rather underwhelming that after all that time, this is the only information they had come up with. But I think we can draw a few interesting points from this. 
The chart provides no information about who conducted these surveys or methods used to conduct them. In the past, I remember that they generally used outside contractors, and there was some criticism that the contractors only surveyed people in urban areas who had telephones, which of course excluded urban people who didn't have phones and the probably much larger rural populations who listened to shortwave. Obviously, the list covers only a small number of countries, 25. Maybe these are the only countries they've done shortwave surveys in during the past several years. USAGM management seems to have lost interest in shortwave, so they probably don't do many shortwave surveys, and of course that serves to reinforce the assertion that people are not listening to shortwave. The only Western Hemisphere country on this list is Haiti. Unfortunately, there's nothing from Cuba. But of course, they can't do surveys inside Cuba. I believe they used to have estimates of Cuban listenership based on interviews with Cubans visiting the U.S. There are also several countries in Africa on that list. The percentages are small, of course, but not insignificant. For example, 2% of the adult population of China is about 20 million listeners per week, and 4% of Nigerian adults is 4.4 million. 1% of Indonesia's adult population is 1.8 million. 8% of adults in Turkmenistan is about 320,000 people. Even 2% of Haiti's adult population is somewhere around 144,000. 7% of adults in Afghanistan is about 1.2 million. The percentages of the adult population would not include people under 18. And we know from listener correspondence that there are a lot of people under 18 who listen to shortwave. Interestingly, they say that the figures they give us are for people who've listened to shortwave within the past week, not people who have listened specifically to VOA or another USAGM broadcast. So these figures seem to be for shortwave in general. If these are the only countries they've surveyed since 2017, they've done no surveys of the Spanish-speaking population in Latin America, so we have no idea about this audience. I don't know what to make of the 0% figures for some countries. It may mean less than half of 1%, but for example, half of 1% of the adult population of Russia would be over half a million. So overall, the USAGM information does provide a ray of hope regarding the actual listenership to international shortwave broadcasts. And we end WaveScan today with music from New Caledonia in the South Pacific. This is Hayarison with the song called Yak. Autrefois, j'étais sale, perdu dans l'ombre. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson. Next week on the program, the early shortwave scene in Bhutan, Wandering the World with the Radio, Part 5, and our Japan DX report from Yukiko Tsuji. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, 
WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in California, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.